so I guess, you know, one thing that pops to my mind is how in the world are you building this trust with these individuals? I mean, mm-hmm. how did you go through this hiring process or how did you find these people that you, you can trust and you can mm-hmm. relinquish control to without, you know, freaking out about it or thinking about it all the time? Well, you know, I think that in human nature, that's always going to exist. Yeah. You know, that is we're we're just wired to want to be in control of our own lives and of our future and of our business and find all of the above. Yeah. So a lot of this really is rooted in the the original thought process of relinquishing control. Um, but it really, though, I think to answer your question more specifically is um, is rooted in just the this idea of servant leadership. You know, and and I have a background in a history of playing sports. Mm-hmm. Um, played football professionally for a few years and I was exposed to some really, really well done leadership. Mm. Um, my college coach, um, Bill O'Boyle, um, my coach who drafted me, George Warhop, were unbelievable men who, um, through the way that they, they coached us, um, communicated some of the best leadership techniques and styles really in, in the world mm. in, in respect to how a good coach sees the potential in somebody else yeah. and sees the potential in in the player and they coach that player to be the best that they can be you know and so when that really that orientation that mindset to coach and to coach well means to live out servant leadership well mm-hmm. where you see the best in people and you interact with people in a way that serves them but subsequently elevates them to being the best that they can be And so the way I communicate, the way you communicate, the way you interact, the way that you hold accountable, the way you encourage, the way that at times you have to discipline um, and all of that should be rooted in an orientation towards people that desires to see people elevated and elevated well. And so I know that one of my gifts is in seeing people with talent and people who are hardworking and driven. And so to, to really give somebody an opportunity that was otherwise previously ill-afforded an opportunity to grow or to spread their wings, so to speak, um, or to chase after a an environment that allows them to exercise their gifts is one of the most beautiful things that you can do. Welcome to the Seeking Financial Freedom Show. I'm your host, Daniel Casado, and today my interview guest is young professional, entrepreneur, former NFL offensive lineman, and CEO at HGC Design Build, Garrett Gilkey. Garrett sat down with me to have a conversation about his journey seeking financial freedom, the time he spent playing in the NFL, and how that helped him grow as a man and prepare him for entrepreneurship, and the seasons that we go through in life. So let's dive into my conversation with Garrett Gilkey. Garrett, thanks for joining me. Man, thanks for having me. Absolutely. A Appreciate pleasure. It. So uh, so what's new? We're in Colorado, Boulder, Colorado is where our <laughs> studio is, but you, uh, you're you spending some time in Vail. I am, yeah. So, you know, we're closed out. So I own a design build firm, um, which is a uh, extreme, you have to be extremely attentive, very highly relational. Um, it's very demanding at times. And so uh, I decided to come out here for, for a week, week and a half and and uh, take a little break. Some and rest so, and relaxation. Some rest and cool. relaxation. Cool. 
um, and uh, and spend some time skiing. Very nice. Yeah. And we we spoke a little bit before this, but uh, you mentioned that your firm is a fairly sizable firm. Um, so what what does your day to day look like when you own a, a design and build firm? Wow, what a great question. It's <laughs> it's constantly evolving and changing. Um, I predominantly have been, you know, I really do operate as a CEO of a of an organization of forty people. Nice. Um, and so most of my time is spent um, in really just uh, interacting well alongside my COO and project managers. Um, I do most of the sales with my company as well. Oh, wow. So it's a different hat that I often wear there. Yeah. Um, but then also, um, yeah, again, a lot of business development, um, a lot of process management, organizational management alongside my COO. Um, and then a lot of day-to-day interaction, just random interaction with the guys in my organization and the company and the guys who are building an on-site as well. So a lot of different hats that I wear. Um, I, I also, you know, probably wear the hat of, of the CFO as well. I manage sure. all the financial resources and so forth with the organization. And so, but it, every day is different. So it depends on the week, depends on what we're doing. Um, depends on uh, what's going on. But uh, yeah, there's a variety of different things that I'm, I'm constantly doing. I think that's one thing that's very attractive to a lot of people that look at starting a business, the idea that it is dynamic. You're not doing the same thing every day. And you are very much in, at least as much <clears throat> as we like to think we're in control, you're, you're very much in control mm-hmm. of your destiny. Yeah, you know, it, it um, is, is, it's been very interesting because you when you start a, a company, you do wear every hat. Yeah. And you you do the sales, you do the finances, you do the organizational management, you do HR and human re, you know human resource and and uh, contract management and so forth. And so as you scale and as you grow and stay with the organization, um, it it's it's interesting because you're shifting you're shifting the hats you wear, you're delegating, you're learning how to step back while also staying present and proximate to processes and organizational management so that things don't fall off the off the wagon and so forth. And so we're really at a place where I've entered really into predominantly, a, you know, a CEO role mm. while still advising in regards to um, architecture and or process management and really more so accountability. Mm. You know, so at times it's actually this last year we've had so much growth. We've had um, we've had a lot of growth this last year compared. We've had probably 300% growth this year than we did wow. from last year, you know. And so at times I – I found myself um, one observing and obviously managing that growth, but you know there are there are also times where I just I'm like you know I remember this last year several times having conversations with my COO and going I don't like what do I <laughs> like what should I be doing yeah. this week like I don't I don't know what I should be doing you know things are going so well and my our project managers are doing great the guys in the field are doing great my COO is doing an amazing job. Um, you know, the design side of the organization is doing an amazing job. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. You know, and so that that high work ethic, um, you know, ADD kind of personality yeah. type that I have at times look at looks at situations like that and I, I don't know what to do and yeah. I feel like I need to do something, you know. And so it uh, it's been interesting because you as you scale and as you grow, you do wear every hat. But then as you grow and create sustainable processes, you're afforded the ability to step back a little bit. Well, my personality type is not always the best at at existing well in that. I think that's the catch-22 with uh, business owners in general. You know, to get it to the point where you can step back, you had to be mm-hmm. so hands-on with everything. And sometimes stepping back can, you know, be one of the more, the bigger challenges in, in the whole business. You know, trusting people to implement 
this dream that you have or trusting people to grow the business beyond mm -hmm. the dream potentially that you might have had? Yeah, you know, so two thoughts come to mind there. Yeah. One, relinquishing like these fears of control, like or these <laughs> issues of control. That's now, what it really is. Huh? It, I mean, honestly, in my life, it comes down to that. Yeah. It comes down to acknowledging that like what I have is not mine. What I have has been given to me and I'm very blessed and fortunate. Um, I've worked very hard for what's been created, but ultimately I know that like, you know, what, what I, I can't control my outcomes. Yeah. I can't control my outcomes. I can't control what happens tomorrow, what happens next year. I only know that I have to exist and exist well with what I'm with, what is in front of me and with yeah. what I have and the resources I have. And so one of the first things that my COO, when I hired my COO, encouraged me to do was, and he used just the terms, I'm going to peel your fingers back, you know? And so that was really hard for me because it was at first, it was talking about taking payroll off, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, why... Why am I, when I should be doing $800 an hour work, why am I doing $12 an hour work? Yeah. Um, you know, and so peeling, but a lot of that was really rooted in like my need for control over certain things, which if you're going to scale a company and scale a company well, you have to learn how to relinquish control right. and trust people and trust people well. Yeah, yeah, no, that's very true. And I think that that day-to-day -day desire to be so involved isn't something that, that just disappears. You still <laughs> have that desire, but maybe you realize the need is to step back. That's that's the need for the business. And that's the role that I can play to, to let others grow within their role and let others take on more responsibility. And even though that's the hard thing to do, that's the right thing to do, you know, at this juncture. Well, and a lot of that comes too with self-awareness. Yes, which is a difficult in, thing. <laughs> in, but in realizing that, you know what, my gift may not be in client crisis management. Sure, sure. And my project manager who went to Bible college for four years is going to be much better at yeah, taking right. that strong phone call off the bat better than me, you know? Yeah. And so I know though that my personality type is if I feel that there's disorganization or there's a lack of organization within the organization or within a process or a project, I tend to latch on to that. Hmm. Well, I don't always have, there's a reason that I have a COO and he's a great at what he does. And there's a reason I have project managers and they're very good at what they do. Okay. And I need to trust them to be able to do what they're good at doing. Yeah. You yeah. know, and so what's hard is, is at times I, one of the biggest challenges is just really myself, Sure. you know, and, and realizing like, it's okay for things to come up. It's okay for there to be challenges. Yep. It's okay for there to be mistakes. And I need to, as a leader, let these guys do what they do, yeah. you know, and that takes, it takes stepping back and having the self-awareness to know that like, Garrett, you are, have gifts and you know, you're, you're leading this organization, but there's a reason you're not a project manager sure. and there's a reason you're not the CEO of this company. There's a reason that, you know, you're not predominantly, you know, drawing or doing all of the architecturals or the engineering. Right. And so kind of, ha so again, having that self-awareness to go like, Hey, I have a multitude of gifts. Really, I have a, 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 a the ability to do a little bit of a lot of things, mm -hmm. you know. But that doesn't mean that I am, you know, that I that I can do to the totality of what's called everything. Sure, you know, so that yeah. self awareness to just be able to relinquish control and trust people to carry out what they're good at. Absolutely, and obviously, a testament to your ability to do so is the growth that you've seen in this company. I mean, like you said, having forty people—that's a that's a sizable company. I mean, that's no, you know, mom and pop shop in a in a garage. Like you, you've built a, an organization that is able to run 
maybe without you being there every day mm-hmm. as as shown with you being here in Vail. So I guess, you know, one thing that pops to my mind is how in the world are you building this trust with these individuals? I mean, mm-hmm. how did you go through this hiring process or how did you find these people that you, you can trust and you can mm-hmm. relinquish control to without, you know, freaking out about it or thinking about it all the time? Well, you know, I think that in human nature, that's always going to exist. Yeah. You know, that is... We're, we're just wired to want to be in control of our own lives and of our future and of our business and find it all of the above. Yeah. So a lot of this really is rooted in the, the original thought process of relinquishing control. Um, but it really, though, I think to answer your question more specifically is um, is rooted in just the, this idea of servant leadership. You know, and, and I have a background in history of playing sports. Mm-hmm. Um played football professionally for a few years, and I was exposed to some really, really well-done leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, my college coach, um, Bill O'Boyle, um, my coach who drafted me, George Warhop, were unbelievable men who, um, through the way that they they coached us, um, communicated some of the best leadership techniques and styles really in, in the world mm-hmm. in, in respect to how a good coach sees the potential in somebody else yeah. and sees the potential in in the player and they coach that player to be the best that they can be you know and so when that really that orientation that mindset to coach and to coach well means to live out servant leadership well mm-hmm. where you see the best in people and you interact with people in a way that serves them but subsequently elevates them to being the best that they can be And so the way I communicate, the way you communicate, the way you interact, the way that you hold accountable, the way you encourage, the way that at times you have to discipline um, and all of that should be rooted in an orientation towards people that desires to see people elevated and elevated well. And so I know that one of my gifts is in seeing people with talent and people who are hardworking and driven. And so to, to really give somebody an opportunity that was otherwise previously ill-afforded an opportunity to grow or to spread their wings, so to speak, um, or to chase after a an environment that allows them to exercise their gifts is one of the most beautiful things that you can do. So to have the ability to see people and see people well, and also have over here this ability to like also create and provide an income for them through right. a company um, and see all of that kind of come together is probably the most attractive part for me um in in doing what i do yeah absolutely so so it sounds to me like you're saying it's the it's the men in your life your your mentors that have kind of instilled or not kind of they have instilled these values and this kind of life approach in you to the point where now you're just spreading that philosophy and and living that philosophy and empowering you know, the people that you work with to, to spread their wings and to yeah. grow and to achieve these things. Absolutely. You know, I really, I look at um, my past, a little, you know, the last 10 years of my life or so, and even more, and the opportunities that I've been given have really only been because there's been people in my life who've believed in me. Yeah. And there's been people in my life who've seen more in me than I've seen in myself. Right. You know, and, and so, yeah, something great's been created. This company is it's it's a cool company. It's great, right? But the it's not, you know, that's not just Garrett. It's one. It's the people all around me. Yeah. Um, I'm just called to 
trying to lead this and to lead this well yeah. and from a standpoint that affirms and elevates the people around me. Yeah. But it really, it's been, it's been the mentors I've had in my life. It's been counselors and, and just older, wiser men that, that have been in my life that have spoken truth into my life, that have encouraged me. Um, and it's been the people that have come alongside me that have believed in what we do, what we're doing as an organization, but also in the, the orientation that we have towards each other that have also then created the value in the awesome culture that exists in, in HGC. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the interesting parallels that you see between high-level athletes and people in business, too. You know, the other podcast that I do, I interview a lot of fighters, and some of them are at the highest level in the UFC and such. And the ones that you see that are the most successful are, you know, echoing the similar ideas. It's not just me. I'm just kind of the, the conduit for this to mm. happen. Like, really, it's this support network of eight individuals, and some of them have their own teams that are really mm -hmm. just invested in, you know, and you are invested in this overall support of you so that you can achieve what you're capable of, you know, mm. reach that potential that many people have, but not everyone's afforded the opportunity to go out and and satisfy or, or mm -hmm. realize. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's what's, what's so interesting about, you know, your situation. You've had that on the, the sports side, but also on the business side. And now you're almost paying it back, you know, paying it forward to these other individuals that now have the opportunity to do something similar to to have the support network and and ability to grow within their their role, but also for them that as a as an individual, as a business mm -hmm. person and and chase that passion and that pursuit. It's it's a beautiful thing to see. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just I really believe that um, you know, I again played in the NFL for four years, um, been to the top of that environment. And and when you get to the mountaintop, you realize, oh, like this is it, right? And yeah. and so having some of those, which are um, amazing and unbelievable experiences, and the afforded opportunities that come with playing in the NFL, um, still bring the realization that you know life is just so much more than playing on TV, yeah. you know, or you know, hitting your first, you know, million dollars in gross sales, right? Or yeah. having a multi-million dollar firm, whatever it is, you you learn that those those experiences are are just are are really tertiary even further down the line to elevating and seeing people grow and grow well. Yep. You know, yep. and so one of the things that I learned when I was in the NFL is I felt like, wow, like this is the pinnacle of what I do. Well, okay. Like what else is there? And so, you know, that I think probably speaks to the entrepreneurial mindset that I have. Sure. You know, my mom, ever since I was very little, so that my wheels always spin faster than I'm actually moving, you know. And so I'd be interested and I'd be fascinated with something. But then as soon as I was fascinated with it, I would master it, figure it out and move on to something else, you know. And so, but so even like with all of that being said, I think one of the things I've just realized is that. You know, we can do all these things that you can accomplish a goal, you can achieve something. But if you're if you're oppressing people in the process or if you're if you're failing to elevate and and see people grow and grow well throughout the process, I there's not a point in doing it. Absolutely. I mean, there's yeah, there's plenty of business opportunity if you're willing to have flexible morals or ethics. But yeah, is yeah. that a business that you want to be involved in? Yeah. And, and to me, I think it doesn't matter really what worldview you have. I think any worldview will speak to, you know, at the end of the day, money is not the most right. important thing. Right. 
you know, and and it doesn't matter again what demographic you come from, what worldview you have. It's a it's in the, or if you don't have a worldview, you know, there's there's not the root of happiness is not just in my bank account. I agree. I mean, that's you know the idea behind this show is that the financial freedom aspect of it. This it's a journey, right? You're mm-hmm. you're seeking this idea of financial freedom, but financial freedom is different for everybody. Yeah, it's really that you get to live your life the way you want because you have the financial stability to do so without you know constantly worrying about paying mm-hmm. bills or what have you. It's a it's a nice place to be, but it's not the it's not the end all be all. That's not what you're living for. It's just one aspect of your journey. Mm, you know? Yeah, it's it's living your it's living that aspect of your life out healthy, right? Right. Rede- yeah, redeemed right. and and restored, yeah. right? I mean, like there's a there's a level of brokenness we all bring to the table in all aspects of life, and financial aptitude is one that absolutely needs growth right. in everybody. Yeah. Um, and you know, again, before the show off camera, you were you're speaking to the idea that you are very hands on with your financial management in general, whether it's with your business, but also as a on a personal level. So what I'd like to do, if possible, is kind of figure out how you got to this point where you are confident in that, where you were able to build this business. So, you know, if you could maybe take me back and tell me a, bit, a little bit a little bit about where you're from and kind yeah. of uh, you know maybe where you feel like <clears throat> these these uh, ideas or morals or or practices were instilled in you. Yeah, so we've had some interesting conversation off off camera, but the, um, you know, I think, I, so I grew up without any, like, financial insight, wisdom, counseling from my parents. Yeah. And so I think that, and I shared a story about paper towels. Mm-hmm. You know, so a few minutes ago, um, you know, I, I spilled some coffee, grabbed, like, 10 paper towels, which gave me anxiety, and which, I, unless you really think through, I, where does the anxiety of overusing paper towels come from? Well, for me, it comes from my mom. So if we were to spill something in the house, you either use a rag that you could wash out or you use one paper towel. You use it and you rinse it out in the sink, wash it out, and then you reuse it again. You keep going back and forth until everything's cleaned up. Um, so, well, I remember thinking when I was younger, like, mom, why do you not let us use like, why Why do we only get like one napkin or one paper? T- like, what is this? Where does this come from? And, and so what I learned was like that was how she was raised. Mm from her dad, my grandfather. And so, well, like that's weird. Why would grandpa, like, that's just bizarre. Well, grandpa grew up outside in the, in the era and post the Great Depression, mm-hmm. where having paper towels was an afforded luxury. And so it's interesting because I now look at my life and there's habit formations that really the pre- prerequisite is a cultural experience mm-hmm. um, Really, which was rooted in some trauma, which of the Great Depression, which was very hard on everybody um, in the United States during that time, that then created again just a lifestyle and a in a in a part of the Bartleman Gilkey family yeah. that is what it is today. That now, when I f- spill coffee, um, <laughs> I have anxiety because I don't want to use paper towels. Yeah. So you know, I I share that story because it it one it speaks to I think just the very blue collar and the conservative financial. Um, structure that I come from. Right. Um, I did not, I don't come from a super affluent family. I come from a very conservative family, very blue collar. Um, you know, so I never had a ton of conversation with my parents about financial freedom or financial aptitude or wisdom. Explicitly, I would argue. Yeah. I mean, explicitly, clearly Expl- you well, these, yes. these lessons. Indirectly, <laughs> indirectly, which like, again, without like some serious counseling, <laughs> unraveling some of these things are, are, are going to go unnoticed. Um, but 
So, but in regards to like how to look at money and how to manage money well and how to think even how to think well about money, mm-hmm. you know, I think growing up, my only view and understanding of money was was a, a means to get what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's a lot that goes into that. Why do I want the things that I want? Right. Do I really need the things that I want? You know, what is the reason I want want this? Is it because right. I'm trying to fill a void here? Is it because I need something? Right. Um, or even giving, you know, why do we give? Well, you know, what are the reasons to give? How, what's the value in giving to somebody? Um, you know, so there's, so there's a lot of growth that took place in the, over the course of the last several years for me. Um, but it, uh, yeah, it was rooted in a conservative kind of undefined view of, of money. Um, you know, I, I, um, I remember thinking when I was in college that I was just going to go into debt and be in debt forever with college, with, you know, college. I was a, I was a human biology undergrad, so I wanted to be a surgeon one day, well, and that ended up not happening. But I remember thinking, like, oh, well, I'm going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt by the time I'm done. So right. why not just accumulate as much debt as possible? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people think that way in college. <laughs> well, and it's, but it's easy to yeah. – because if that is the only thing in front of me that I see, then it's easy to go, okay, this is what's going to define my financial experience mm-hmm. um, and my financial health is these milestones in front of me. Yeah. And, it, and so I was very fortunate. I had a great college career. I was drafted by the Browns in 2013 and retired with the Buccaneers. Um, lived out my contract with cool. them in its totality, um, which really gave me the opportunity to set a healthy foundation for my future. Yeah. And so um, I learned very quickly at a very young age that I had to be really my own organization in regards to the people around me, how I viewed my resources and so forth. And so I, um, and so I was very fortunate to have some wise um, men and women in my life who were able to speak wisdom, you know, financial wisdom into my life in regards to exercising self-control yep. with material items, yep. saving, you know, how how you strategically save, what types of events you want to save for, uh, how you can use the resources you have right now for, um, again, just creating an environment that is gives you the bandwidth to do the things you really want to do. And so you're saying these came around relatively later in life? They have. Yeah, yeah. they had. I think and the reason for that is because I grew up and that wasn't a lot of these things weren't options. The yep. thought of, of, of going skiing in Colorado for a week is, was never something I ever perceived to be able to do, yeah. let alone own, own my vehicle. Right. I never thought that I was going to own a vehicle ever. I didn't know how I was going to make. How, like, how, I remember thinking, how am I going to make any money to be able to buy a car? Like as crazy as that sounds, like that was something that you know, would constantly just ring in my head. And so thankfully, again, I think the NFL was definitely a segue for me in being able to take my aptitude, which uh, is my sisters would argue is still pretty low, but to be able to then take my aptitude with experiences and creativity and and just imagination and growing in my financial, um, you know, insider bandwidth and, yeah. and, and wisdom and so forth. I think that's what's so incredible about personal finance in general. It is such a journey. Like uh, some people, you know, I grew up with their parents had a savings account set up for them when they were little and they developed these habits of, you know, you save 33%, you can spend 33%, 33% goes to taxes or your bank account in this case. But then there's other people, you know, like I 
learning to balance the checkbook maybe in fourth grade once, and then other than that, we didn't talk about personal mm-hmm. finance at mm-hmm. all in school. Mm-hmm. It's something that a lot of people, you almost have to have a trigger event for it to mean something to you mm-hmm. and for you to have the desire to go learn it, or you have to be fortunate, you know, I'm a financial advisor, so my previous role, I worked with mainly elderly people, like 70 years old, that are already retired, and what they speak to, or a a recurring theme was, so-and-so came into my life, and they imparted this basic knowledge, but something that stuck with me for life, Mm. you know, whether it's by reliable large companies that you know and just hold them forever or just save 25% of your income always. You know, mm-hmm. that's just some rule they've lived by and that's led to their success. But it's nothing that they uh, they were taught in school. You know, it's something that comes about in life that drove it to them. And yeah, some people have it when they're little, but I'd argue most people, at least in the U.S., aren't picking these skills up or these uh, this knowledge until later in life when it, it's a little more real. Um, I mean, did you work in high school or, or college at all? I did. Yeah. I um, My first job was at a bagel nice. bagel store. So I wore a bagel outfit and danced on the corner all right, all to right. solicit business. And then I worked at Dairy Queen. Um, and and then I worked at Subway. What drove you to, to like work? I mean, what was the, the idea behind? Oh, well, what's interesting, it was... Um, it was all, I think, the desire to probably buy stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, which is interesting now because I, that's not why I work at all. Right. But at that you know, age, it, it, it was. <laughs> and so, but like, there's this, there's this journey that we're all on. And again, how I spend my money says more about how I view myself and other people Absolutely. than it does about how I see money. Absolutely. And so, so the more that I've grown in understanding who Garrett is and what Garrett is called to do. And how Garrett is called to interact with people has then further identified then what the role of money needs to be in Garrett's life. I love that. And so it's that journey is interesting because it really is now a worldview conversation yeah. as opposed to just a system or process that Dave Ramsey, you know, or Warren Buffett would communicate from a systematic approach to mm-hmm. developing something. Yep. You know, and so whereas a lot of those articulations can be extremely helpful and resourceful and great for people to use as a baseline. Um, on, it's, it's still, I think, the way we see money still says more about ourselves than it does about actually money or our for circumstances. Sure. And even to the to the point where, you know, when you are a young person and you are, you know, we can look back and reflect and say, I did just have that job so I could buy stuff or, you know, flex for a girl or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, now that you have the ability to speak more towards money being a reflection of your worldview or view of yourself, it's because we're in this situation where we can be philosophical about it. Yeah. You know, you're hitting your Maslow, Maslow's basic hierarchy of needs. You're, you've mm-hmm. got the food, the shelter mm-hmm. taken care of. Now you can be a little more philosophical. But it took, you know, a journey to get there of not only work, but learning mm-hmm. these habits and learning what doesn't work, which is throwing money at objects and you know trying to get some sense oh (laughs) i will not say that so i I am at a place now where i'm much more conservative financially with a lot of things um but i know that you know it did not start that way i've always spent money faster than when i was a little kid you know my my sister mallory is the most gifted probably in our family at saving and so um whereas i'm very entrepreneurial if i see an opportunity there's not a hesitation for me to uh, exercise those resources towards it. And so, but I, so there's, so there's two philosophies in 
you know, with, between my sister and I in regards to money. She's very conservative and spends very, very little, um, whereas I'm a little bit different. Now, I've grown to understand myself a lot better right. and what I have a tendency of doing with right. those resources, be in, in, in part because I know that I've spent money frivolously in the past and not been efficient or looked back and gone, where did that go? You know, and, and then realized that there wasn't anything constructive that constructive that's come from it, which has then further put me in positions to be more conservative and, and be more, um, introspective and thoughtful in regards to like how I'm going to steward those resources. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so, and I've, I've also been, again, you know, at, at times that playing in the NFL actually, um, can be a crutch for a lot of guys, I think, because if you're afforded the ability to have so much resource that you don't have to be, that you don't have to worry about balancing your checkbook, mm -hmm. you know, on paper, mm -hmm. you know, or you don't have to worry about, you know, the bills you have because you know that your bank account is that just that excessive, right. you know, actually can be really, really damaging for people. Absolutely. And I know at times that that actually is probably more so the case for me early on in my career is yeah. that, you know, I didn't. Like whether it was a, you know, I can go out to dinner every night for 200, 300 bucks and it doesn't matter. Right. And so there's almost a, you know, there's almost a, a crutch to having a lot of resources because it doesn't put you in a position to, to really over evaluate and develop the, the aptitude and the, the structure that's needed for ultimate, really like the best financial freedom and peace. Yeah. Well, you don't necessarily have the need to develop those skills until you put yourself in a situation where <clears throat> all of a sudden maybe you need to because you spent too much or what is it, whatever it is. That for me came from growing a business. Yeah. So in regards to like, so my, my ability to manage my personal finances grew when I needed to manage the finances of my organization yes. where um, the attention to detail and the accountability and the systems of processes associated with accounts and receipt tracking, expense tracking were vital to the health of the organization. Mm -hmm. And so that was, interestingly enough, like that was now a forced environment for me and a forced mm -hmm. experience that brought this bandwidth and this latitude, you know, this this horizontal education. Yep. Yeah, one of the cool things about life, right? You end up learning things that you didn't realize maybe going into this avenue you would be, but, you know, it, it benefits your life in other ways, ancillary ways that still lead to this overall product, not an end product yeah. necessarily, but, you know, where you are right now today in this moment. Yeah, you know, and I, I do believe in, um, you know, I, from a business standpoint, you know, you can have the conversation about debt. I don't believe in you know, as I believe in as little personal debt as possible. You know, if you don't have the resources to buy something, you have no business buying it. Live below your means. Live below your means. Yep. Um, you know, and, and then also I think that there's um, a lot of power in being able to just say no to something. Yes. You know, if even if you want something to be able to say, you know what, I'm, I can get that, but I'm not going to. Yeah. If I, not one of the most powerful things, I mean, not only no to objects, but no to time. You know, like you, you were painting the picture beautifully earlier about, you know, this role that you're in CEO and wanting to do certain things, but maybe, you know, that's more of a $12 an hour job than what you should be doing. Well, that's an allocation of resources in and of itself. It's just a time is the resource, you know, mm -hmm. understanding how to allocate your time as well as your money is, are things that aren't necessarily taught. A hundred percent. I mean, so again, that's where then the, the conversation becomes that much more interesting for me because how I manage my time is going to be a, a, 
a greater reflection of then how I believe and how I look at my finances as well. Yeah. You know, because if I can be doing work that's $400 an hour work, you know, that's going to, that is going to be rooted in the, my financial, my understanding of finances, um, as opposed to if I'm doing $12 an hour work. Right. Right. And so, but they're, uh, going back a little bit, you know, I have a, there's a few, like few sayings that for me have always really stuck home. One, there's always another bus coming around the corner. Yeah. And so to not jump on something without really understanding where that bus is going, what that bus is, is made from, you know, what the, you know, just knowing everything about the product. Doing your due diligence. Doing your due diligence. You know, there's always another bus coming around the corner. Um, but then also kind of like, just because you have a superpower doesn't mean you have to use it. Yeah. You know, and so I think we all, in some respects, and that can be used in the conversation of finances or it can be used in the conversation of influence and people in relationship. But just because you have the power and the means to do something doesn't mean that you always should. Right. You know, and so I think those are pretty great. I agree. Yeah. Powerful ideas to live around or to kind of build this foundation around at the very least. Um, so you mentioned you, you had a couple of jobs in high school. When you were in high school and playing football, did you envision the NFL? I mean, is that something that you had your sights set on? Ever since I was a very little kid. Really? Okay. Yeah, okay, so I remember. It does. I, You know, I always, um, I mean, it's never for the money, which is interesting. Sure. You know, and even with business, that I think is is a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful, and you know, piece of, I think, my experience with either business or the NFL. It was always rooted in the fact that I loved what I did. Yeah. And I was passionate about the thing that I was a part of. Um, and so that really, again, it goes back to what I believe about money and what I believe about myself. You know, if I believe that my greatest joy would, would come from money, then that would make sense to why I would want to pursue the NFL. It never was. Mm-hmm. I was fascinated with my position and what I did, and I wanted to be the best that I possibly could. And so that obviously brought me in football sh- in cleats to the NFL. Yeah. You know, and so now I want to be the best builder um, and design build firm that uh, that exists in Tampa. Yeah. And so that, you know, so with the right orientation, the right work ethic, the right character, the right relationships that then has the opportunity to be afforded, you know. And so but it was never so those pursuits for me that were never rooted in just the the, you know, the pursuit of a dollar sign. This is interesting. Like and maybe. Maybe I'm, there's some kids that do see that dollar sign, but, you know, even thinking back to my own personal experience, I, I thought I was going to be an MLB player, right? You know, mm-hmm. baseball was my first love. Even before I was interested in girls, it was baseball. But, you know, you hear all the dollars when you're little, but those dollars don't mean anything to you. For you, it's just be a baseball player. I just want to play on that field mm-hmm. and, you know, live that dream. Like, that's all you picture. You don't picture the, the dollars with it. And that's like a... It's for the older people almost. It's for the adults that are like watching parallel saying, oh, wow, those guys get paid a lot. But mm-hmm. when you're a kid, that isn't what you think about. Um, what, what's interesting to me, though, is uh, the idea, you know, you, you go and play in college. You were you had this concern that you would be in debt, you know, theoretically to the foreseeable future at the very least. Um so when you're in high school, I mean, is the idea like if I work hard enough, I can get a scholarship or is it I just want to work hard so I can keep playing football? I, so it's so interesting because now we're talking about seasons of life. Yeah, absolutely. Okay? We're talking absolutely. in <laughs> seasons. So like and I believe that like you can really generalize large seasons of life, adolescence, young adulthood, you right. know, parenting, being elderly. Right. Or you can 
so like seasons, I believe that like our lives are just built in rhythms and seasons. Like there's a re I, I just really believe that. And so when I was in the season of life in high school, that season, all I wanted to do was play football. Yeah. And so I remember walking up to my high school coach who played in the NFL for nine years. Wow. Ironically, who was the, before I got drafted from Shadron, he was the last person to get drafted from Shadron. Shad that's where you went to school. Shadron State. Cool. And um, and so I remember walking up to him and saying, Coach, I really want to play Division I football. Do you think I'm good enough? And without missing a beat, he just goes, no. Yeah. No, maybe Division II or Division III. NAI. Sure. And I was like, oh, it just crushed me, right? Because for me, I wanted to play. I wanted to keep playing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I ended up going to a small Division II school, Shadron State. They gave me a $3,000 a year scholarship. It might have only been $2,500 a sure. year. So not substantial. But so here I am now in my circumstances in college. And so here I am in that season of life where I am confined by the parameters of debt yep. and education and, and debt associated so with you, education. So you had to take student loans out to I go did. to school. Cool. I did. So that, but, so that was my environment. Mm -hmm. That was the season of life that I was in. I wasn't a... I wasn't a five-star recruit to Ohio State or to Michigan or to, you know, LSU or Alabama. I was just this kid that wanted to keep playing football. Right. Well, in order to do that, I had to go to Northwest Nebraska, and uh, and pay to go to school, and so those were my conditions. Yeah. So what I was able to see in front of me at that point was just a life of debt. Right. And it's the only world you know. It's the only world I knew. Yeah. And so that, you know, so my conditions definitely influenced the way that I saw and perceived money. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I had an opportunity to play in the NFL where that then started to change. Mm -hmm. So my environment and like now I'm in a different subseason of life where I was able to pay off my student loans right away. Yeah. And I was able to buy a vehicle. Yeah. You know, and then I bought a home, you know. And so here I am now with a different set of circumstances presented to me. And so I remember even in like my first year in the NFL, I had an extremely conservative financial advisor who was really just more of an, a friend more than anything. It was very informal and it's been informal. But the thought process there was this isn't promised for me tomorrow. Yeah. So I, let's make the most out of this. So like what are the number one priorities? So like let, let me look at my circumstances. Let me look at my season of life, what's in front of me. And what is the wisest approach to dealing with my circumstances and what's on my plate? Well, one student student loans, they need to go. Um, the other the other part was I wanted to I wanted to put as much away as as possible. Cool. Retirement was so important to me. I knew like that if tomorrow wasn't promised, like save 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 save, put it all the way that you can because tomorrow's not promised. Okay. And so I had one year that was great on the active roster, and I paid off all my debt and I put a lot of money away for my future. And then year two in the NFL comes, which obviously starts to give you a little bit more bandwidth and opportunity and still have this conservative mindset to want to live. I want to live debt free and also save. And so that was really the approach that I took the four years that I was under contract um, towards my resources was, you know, I had this baseline of a conserv this conservative baseline to pay off debt. My whole like mentality while I was in the NFL was, you know, I wanted C to be taken care of. And so I wanted to live a lifestyle while I was in the NFL to where when I was done playing C, which is retired, call it retirement, mm -hmm. was taken care of. So that the question then became for me when I was done playing, it's about just getting to C yep. as opposed to being somewhere between A and B still and still having to plan for retirement really, really well. Yeah. I wanted to 
set the resources aside and live a conservative enough life to where when I was done playing, it was about maintaining and maintaining well. What incredible knowledge imparted. I mean, so simple and basic maybe from the outside, but something that clearly impacted you greatly and not only impacted just like with these ideas that you have, but you, you implemented it. I mean, that's something that, again, I mean, if we go back to the example of people that are successful in retirement, it only takes a couple of these people in your life that can impart this, again, not crazy, sophisticated knowledge, pretty basic stuff, but it, it makes such an impact in your life, you know, financially and beyond. It, you know, and it does. And, the, you know, the, the really this last part of our conversation has been it's yes, the topic here is finances, but it's also life experiences Absolutely. and worldview and how you address circumstances and hardship and seasons of suffering, seasons of, of little, seasons of a lot. Right. You know, because I was, I mean, really, it was a, it's really a conversation of like my orientation towards myself and my circumstances that influenced my thought processes in, in high school, in college, and then in the, in the NFL. Yeah. You know, and so it's really taken a really massive process of maturation to get to where I'm at and I'm still growing into, Yeah. you know? And so it's, um, yeah, the conversation starts at the topic of a dollar sign and finances, but it really is a, it's the conversations go much deeper, Yeah. you know, into the fabric of who we are and what we believe, um, Absolutely. what we believe about people. I mean, that's the, you know, we don't, you know, as a wealth manager, as a financial advisor, I don't, make judgments based on how people want to spend their money. You know, if you want to, if gambling is very important to someone, like whatever, you know, if that's what you want to do and you have the money to do it and you're living within your means and that's something like you want to pursue, whatever, you know. But if you want to go the other way with it and you want to give a large portion of your money away, again, as long as you're living within your means and you're not giving away more than you can give away, that's cool too. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think it, it's the, you know, the idea of planning around or planning your finances really comes down to, like you said, planning how you want to live your life. You know, what are your values? Mm -hmm. A lot of times what you see or what the biggest kind of catch that I see with people in, in finance or their personal finances specifically is they have this idea of what they value and then they have what they spend their money on, you know, their mm -hmm. action items. And so their their goals that they have their action items oriented to aren't really aligned with their values. And so they maybe aren't happy. You know, maybe they, they feel like they're not in a good financial situation when sometimes it's just saying, OK, if this is truly your value, let's align the goals and the action items better with that value. And, oh, well, we're financial advisors, so we're going to do that financially. But, I mean, you can do it with your time, too, right? It's like any resource. You allocate your resources towards your priorities. And sometimes it's just a, maybe a misguided priority. Maybe that's not really the priority we want to be focused on, but we're just a little lost in that moment. And self-awareness is so key. I mean, you keep speaking to this idea of self-awareness. That's a difficult thing to have a, a lot of times, that perspective on, on where you are in life compared to where you want to be, you know, what you're valuing. It's a, it's a journey. Well, and it, what's even more fascinating is, you know, I think we, especially as like barbaric men, yeah. <laughs> like we think that our lives are segmented into different, different buckets, yeah. right? Even like in the financial conversations, yes. like we talk about finances in, in the terms of buckets, bucket yep. one, two, three, right? So we think that we can just um, delineate these aspects of these conversations when the reality is, is like we talked about this earlier like it's all connected yes. you know and again that's really that's rooted in my worldview in my mm -hmm. belief system um but i don't believe that the way i manage finances 
is independent of the way I interact with people right. or the way that I see my my time or the way that I want to enjoy life or the way I want to you know interact with people, the way I need to rest, um, you know, the, the physical needs that I have. And so to see our life as one conglomerate that has to be in balance um, is so vital yeah. to being able to have financial freedom because that's really one conversation of the pie that, you know, is is – that has answer that has pieces that are are really as important to talk about. Agreed. And so the hardship is is like if you're a financial advisor, you very quickly can get in the role of counselor as well. If we were, there's like because because it, the way you right, I mean, so like if we're talking about values and goals, well, like it, if you have somebody that has a gambling addiction okay. who wants to then develop sustainable long term resources, okay. well, it's yes, it's obvious that you're your your lifestyle doesn't match up with your goals okay. but then the conversation really then becomes a counseling conversation why are we going to yes. the addiction or to the whether it's whether it's you know um storefront therapy right sure, sure, retail sure. therapy whatever yeah. or whatever it is because it unless we're addressing the deep, the root issue to why people are doing what they're doing we can't enforce financial freedom or aptitude for people Absolutely. you know and so it's it's a, and so not everybody wants to invite that into the conversation. I would because, argue most people probably don't. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's the that's the hardship. I can only imagine that's one of the hardships in doing what you do because it it what we see on the surface with finances is probably more indicative of what's beneath the surface. Oh, absolutely. That needs to probably be addressed more than what we see on the surface. Yeah, and perhaps you know, as a financial advisor, you're not going to necessarily make that change for the person or even, you know, <laughs> tell them they need to change. But it's also being aware of your role and understanding maybe there are some underlying needs or drivers here that they're not stating. And maybe we can help them see that and, you know, reorient the conversation towards their own realization of mm -hmm. these items. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's the dream anyway, of being no, an effective I, advisor. And, and that is, I mean, I think that's brilliant. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's prolific. That speaks to the, the ability to to see the the conversation here much more well-rounded, oh. you know, because it's not a transaction to you. Right. It's not just about a systematic process. It's, yeah, I mean, there are times where, you know, and this is, I know for me, where I want to lead my family yeah. and the way I interact with my future wife and my future children, all of which don't exist right now. Sure. <laughs> um, but in, in a way that helps us address, like, all aspects um, that right. are result, that will result in how we manage finances and so forth. But it, yeah, I, I, I really appreciate that as just the ability to see, even though we at times can see that in people, does, like, doesn't mean they invite us into that space. Right. Doesn't mean that we're even called to be in that space. Right. But if you can continue to strategically or, you know, organize and orient conversation in a way that does bring light to important values and, and aligning lifestyle, I think that's really wise. But it's all driving back to that idea of balance that you spoke to. I mean, Financial health is one aspect, mental health, physical health. These are all things that can be neglected any one area at any one time. But when you're truly, I would argue, when you're truly happy and feeling fulfilled is when you have the best balance. And mm -hmm. you're not going to maintain that. Like, obviously, something's going to slip at any one moment. And kind of life is trying to make them all balanced. And, you know, at, at times you might be in a situation where you're in debt and, mm -hmm. and it seems like you might never, ever get out of debt. And then that will lead into your you know, emotional stress, and that can lead into physical stress. So, I mean, absolutely. it's really just a constant balance. It, it absolutely is. It absolutely, and I'm a big believer in that, 
you know, it is so important to see the importance of keeping and maintaining balance in your life, you know, and, and, and again, to use the word seasons, yeah. like there are, gonna, like that. <laughs> there are going to be seasons of life where I know for work, there are seasons where I am super, super spread thin and super, super busy. Well, one, the self-awareness there acknowledges that that's not sustainable. Mm. It doesn't matter, you know, like, so to, to look at certain personality types who are a thousand miles an hour and assume from an entrepreneurial standpoint, oh, that's what I strive to be. Well, what that probably doesn't speak to is the devastation that takes place from a parenting standpoint or from a, a you know, a relationship standpoint because the bandwidth is so spread thin mm. and we're out of, we're really out of balance. You know, but even, you know, even when there are moments of imbalance, that's a season of imbalance. And so to understand and recognize and and, and understand that, like, there are going to be seasons of life where I'm in out of balance on the, taking care of my body. Mm-hmm. There's out of, I'm out of balance relationally with my friends and and there, I'm out of balance with with how much I'm working. You know, it's it's going to come um, and it's going to happen. Um Man, goodness gracious, I pray that I just have the self-awareness in those seasons to recognize that, okay, I'm out of balance right now. It's a season. It's not going to be my entire life. And I'm going to chase after creating balance here yeah. to live a more sustainable lifestyle. Well, I think you said it. You know, that's what we can hope for. But times like college where you see this this indebted environment and you, you might have the physical health, you might have the mental health, but it's just like this drain almost of yeah. like, I might not ever get out of this. You know, I don't know how real the NFL was to freshman year of college, but the debt's real. (laughs) The debt debt was real. I mean, and and you know what's crazy is, I I mean, it was all eggs in the basket. Yep. You know, my mom, who has two master's degrees, was the last person to encourage or affirm a career in the NFL for me. (laughs) You know, so I'm I'm currently working on my my second master's, but I remember, um, yeah, I remember thinking this is it. Like, I... This is it. If I don't make the NFL, I'm I'm toast. Yeah. So since then, education's become a much greater priority. Cool. But um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 just interesting. Yeah. But, it but is. again, again, like if that was my environment, right? Only understanding this this oppression of debt, that was a season. Yeah. I mean, I love the idea of seasons. It's nothing that I've really kind of reflected upon in my life, but I find myself doing it. You know, as you're going through it and thinking back, it it, it varies. It's very much so seasonal. It's an incredible way to to put it and frame it and think about it. And you know, I think that I probably would have had. And then again, I think this this is where growing in this conversation and having this conversation um, more promptly and and more casually, I think is is where is super important because yeah. what I would have benefited benefited from greatly in college was that conversation of course. to where, yes, Garrett, you are not getting paid to play football. You are paying to go to school in Northwest Nebraska of all places, and you're paying to play football. And so, which is really what it was. Yeah. Um, but investment to Yeah. That. But like Garrett, this is a season, right? This is a season where yes, you're entering into debt. We don't know what's to come, but this is not going to be the rest of your life, mm-hmm. you know? And so speaking that and having that conversation with people, which brings them out of just what's right in front of them, you know, I think is so important. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, again, that speaks to the the lack um, of casual conversation, you know, <laughs> around finances that, you know, again, I going back to the paper towels. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just the way that you're living more so than a conversation that's open about why we do certain things that we do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're in college and you, you end up, being very good at football, you know, you I think you got all American honors. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You guys won a championship while you were there? We uh we won um the RMAC championship one year. My first year when I was wasn't playing. Still? So I can't even I don't okay, have a, okay. I don't have a well, ring. I could have I could have <laughs> got a ring, but I didn't get a ring because I was just a I was just a uh, red shirt, so I sure. didn't, you know, um was a true freshman, so I didn't I didn't really earn any of that. We were I think my senior year, I wanna say we were I think we were either no, we were second in the conference, which was still pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's good. So you get all American honors. Um, You leave college with debt, but you're able to pay it off Mm -hmm. uh, with with the football. So I mean, you make an investment in yourself, right? You're you're paying to go to college. You're putting in not only the financial equity, but you're putting in the sweat equity. You're you're doing the work. You're grinding it out. I mean, it is a full time job essentially Mm -hmm. playing a sport in college. So you get to this point where it's paying back now. What what makes you decide? I want more education. I mean, what is the decision to then reinvest in yourself? Um, I think it, you know, there's still that competitive nature there. Sure, sure. Right. So like when that, so when the the pads and the helmet was no longer my outlet, right. I business very very quickly became that competitive outlet. I wanted to be the best that I could. Um, you know, education is still there on the table for me, and not married, no girlfriend, no kids. Um, I just got two chubby little French bulldogs at home. <laughs> so what else am I going to do with my time? Yeah. Well, continue to pursue education. You know, I've been very fortunate. The NFL has a great resource that pays for education. Cool. And so it would be very unwise for me not to take full advantage of that, um, you know, which which has been really, really great for me. But you started the business first. I did. Cool. So you so you left the NFL and you said, I'm going to go start while this I was, business. So while I was playing, I okay. actually started my company. Nice. Wow. So while I was playing, I started my uh, master's degree in engineering. Cool. And so I was playing while also going to grad school online. And so and then I started my firm. And so I originally started my firm, HGC Development, as really just a holding LLC sure. to do real estate investments. And so in my off-season, you know, or even during the season through a couple – uh, close mentors. I bought a couple properties and then in the off season flipped them. But you're also going to engineering school. Yes. Just to highlight yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And while also studying for my <laughs> plumbing license and my GC cool. license and all these other things. Neat. Um, you know, there was that, well, again, seasons, that was a season of life where I had no social interaction. Sure. Which is, yeah, that's going to happen. But I think what's really interesting to me from an outsider's perspective is not only are you kind of, um, you're like, I'm going to get into business, so I'm going to buy these properties because I have the financial ability to do so. You could have stopped there. You could have just said, I'm, I'm a business owner now. I'm do-. No, you immerse yourself completely mm-hmm. like everything else you've done. You don't get to the NFL unless you're immersing yourself into football in college and high school. So you, you, you take that same approach. You, you found yourself successful in that. So you take that same approach to business and you don't just buy these properties, but you're going to engineering school and GC school and plumbing so that you understand everything else involved in how these houses work and potentially yeah. growing this business further than just being a landlord. Exactly. And I think that is where um, the competitive side has come to light because I, really the reason I, I went to get my, my master's degree in engineering was because I wanted to, one, I want to, I consider, I don't really introduce myself ever as an engineer. Yeah. Most of the time, especially around people like, or women that I don't know, I'll introduce myself as a plumber, which very quickly changes the tune for most people and moves them on <laughs> from the introvert Garrett. I like that. And so it's, so when you introduce <laughs> yourself as a plumber, most people are like, Okay, and then on to the next person. Cool. Right? Cool. All right. I don't want to like. I'm not talking to the you know the big tattooed bearded guy. He's a player. Forget that. So it's like a defense mechanism for me. Sure. Um, you know which uh, which. But again, you 
can do really, really well being a plumber. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Um, and so the, um, the, the part though, so I really though, again, it's all with comic relief, introduce myself as a plumber. And I have some friends that are girls that are very close friends of mine and, and they know that I do that often and they always give me a hard time. Um, but I, I really never considered myself an engineer. Again, I have a master's degree in engineering, but I don't consider myself an engineer. You know, I'm, I'm technically a plumber, technically a GC. I never really consider myself that. Um, I consider myself a builder, you know. And so when you're having conversations with people about what being a builder is, there obviously there's a few and far between there. You know, are you you educated? Do you have a contracting right. license? Were you did you grow up with like just framing homes? Like what does that look like? Well, I wanted that conversation to have an extremely substantial foundation to where, no, yes, I'm a builder, but I also have a master's degree in engi- mm-hmm. engineering. And so that then allows not only the conversation to speak with more aptitude mm-hmm. um, and experience and, accre- and accreditation, but, but, um, you know, it, it, but also there's just that, that educational piece for me that right. was so formal and important from a formal standpoint to then allow me to be able to do the things that I do. Yeah. You know, I started my MBA and which most of my mentors who have been the most influential people in my life have said, Garrett, why are you getting your MBA? That sure, doesn't make sure. any sense. Yes, your engineering master's degree, like that makes sense. Your MBA doesn't make sense. If you're not going to go work for a, you know, we were a talking private. about earlier, you know, like a <laughs> private equity firm yeah. or, you know, a large financial institution, you know, investment yeah. bank, like then why get your MBA? Yeah. Well, uh, again, that probably for me is more so the competitive side more where diff. I want the MBA because I want the aptitude and conversation. Um, not because I want to put it at the bottom of my email chain. You know? I, I'm with you. I get the same response about it. I, love, I haven't started this by any means. My sister's a lawyer. My best friend growing up is a lawyer. My uncles are lawyers. And I always have this uh, I dream, I pitch at them that you know, once you know, business slows down a little bit, maybe I'll do it at night. I'll go mm-hmm. get my law degree. And they're like, no. Why would you do that? Don't do that. You don't want to be a lawyer? No. I'm like, I, I think it's more, it's an internal drive to have that knowledge, the competition aspect mm-hmm. of things, to prove to yourself that you can do it. You know, that's another aspect of it that I think people overlook a lot, the value of setting a goal and saying, that's something that people are saying I can't do. I'm going to make that happen. Well, it, it, it is. It's, there's a beautiful competitive drive there that I think is, when it's channeled well and within the right guardrails, is so healthy yeah. and beautiful and so awesome to see unfold in whoever's life. Yeah. Um, the the now if we're talking about financial freedom seeking financial freedom, like the freedom part of that comes from allows that entrepreneurial creativity you know creative and imaginary mindset um, and personality type to go okay yeah you know what I I maybe have a master's degree in education but I'm getting in now to private equity mm-hmm. um, well or I'm getting now you know into real estate law or larger real estate acquisitions, well, having aptitude and education there from from a legal standpoint or from, you know, code standpoint, like which would come from going to law school or, you know, when you're talking about B2B acquisitions, there a lot, there's a lot of aptitude that would come from having or chasing after your MBA. Right. You know, there's just now processes of vertical integration that ancillary education or experiences or formal encounters and experiences give us a greater ability 
to live out kind of a financial free life to be able to horizontally move and see opportunities and resources and chase after them. See those opportunities, especially. I mean, let's say you get one thing from your MBA. You know, you'll get way more than that. I, I might only get one. <laughs> I think there's one. There's one. I took a class on quantitative analysis, didn't get anything from it. And so but, like, I mean, there's real. going to be one. But what you're saying, though, I mean, even if it's just the ability to see some opportunity that you couldn't previously see, and maybe you don't put it together that it's this MBA that brought that about, but... I mean, it probably is. It's these different experiences that you're getting through life and these investments that you're making in yourself, whether it be the master's in engineering or this MBA, that it just opens up your opportunity to be more. I mean, more as a person, more as yeah. a businessman, more as uh, an educated person that can then share knowledge, even if it's just that. That's the yeah. value. You know, it's it's never settling either. Yes. You know, and so that that can that can be a really beautiful gift. It could also be a hindrance. Mm. Right. Yes, I mean, because yeah. if, if we, you know, and again, that's where then the conversation for me ties back to a worldview perspective, mm. you know, because I believe that we should be content in all circumstances. Um, it is. It's extremely hard, you know, but the that says more how I manage being content says more about how I view myself than it does about my circumstances. Absolutely. And so to use the again, the ADD, you know, young kid that I was that that personality type, which is still there in a way that's constructive, um, has been a really interesting journey. Um, but it, you know, it definitely, so again, that mindset of like, you know, we're never done growing. Right. We're never done learning. Let us not limit ourselves by our circumstances or by our conditions. And let us always chase after growing and knowledge and in relationship and, and understanding, which if we want to use the avenue of education, that's beautiful and wonderful, but that also just doesn't define us, right? You right. know, it, it, I'm not defined by the amount of things at the bottom of my email. Right. Or the <laughs> you school know. you went to. Or, or the school you went yeah. to. Yeah. You know, and so, because I went to Shadron State, you know, I started my MBA at Harvard and, but I went to Shadron State, <laughs> you know, so like there's, there's, I'm not defined by getting accepted to Harvard and I'm right. not defined by graduating from Shadron. Right. You know, and so it, uh. Yeah, for me, everything just is so introspective and at times 3,000 feet to really, truly well define and understand our conditions. Yeah. And, you know, a little off topic, but just, uh, one thing that you brought up earlier, the ability to say no in a self-control aspect financially, but also you have to, you clearly have this ability that you have to do in life too. your ability to say no to everything else, to focus on what you're doing to achieve these things that you want to achieve, whether it is an MBA, whether it is the master's engineering, which I can only imagine the number of things you have to say no to. But, you know, like <laughs> that's a skill in and of itself. You know, Steve Jobs, I believe, is one of the main proponents of this. Johnny Ives is a guy that made it so when you click on the notepad on your iPhone and it's a notepad, it looks like a notepad. I mean, that's a revolutionary idea. Mm. And he would, uh, I'm pretty sure it's these two is, were the dynamic, but he would always come in and say, what did you say no to today? Mm. You know, not like what ideas do you have? What are you looking at? What did you say no to today so that you could focus exactly on what, what you're mm. doing and doing it to your best of your abilities? And that's a challenge in and of itself, especially, you know, fellow ADD person. You know, I, I get a million ideas a day that well, and, you could pursue, but it's really. And, and that's a that's a struggle of mine, yeah. you know, in, yeah. in total humility. Like I struggle saying no to things. Absolutely. I want to be involved in everything, yeah. you know, but and when I don't say no to things and I say yes to everything, then I'm doing $12 an hour work. Exactly. You know, I mean, and which like at times I enjoy doing. Yeah. You know, and so, but again, it's a worldview conversation because yeah. at times, is there more intrinsic value relationally in doing $12 an hour work or should I only orient my time in a way that really is 
the most self-seeking, which could be argued to be the best approach, but all that $400 an hour work. Right. So, you know, there's the intrinsic eternal value in spending $12 an hour work working with guys and interacting with guys well. And then there's the the time, okay, no, it's time to be, it's time to be on it. And now I have to say no to things to make sure that I'm, you know, really progressing this organization in a way that it needs to be. Yeah. And you kind of pointed to earlier the fact that you you do both and you balance them, essentially, in my opinion. You, you hear a lot of like, uh, where does the CEO come from in an effective organization? Sometimes they come from marketing. Sometimes they come from accounting because mm-hmm. they see the dollars over here and they know mm-hmm. how to make money over here. Well, you, you've got both, you know, you're controlling, you're the CFO and you're also chief marketing officer, essentially, mm-hmm. within your CEO role. So mm-hmm. you're, you're balancing those two. I mean, you're, you're seeing both sides of it. And, and you know, that can be on a macro level with your business, but it can also be on a micro level with you as an individual, this understanding of a need to not only understand your finances and the empowerment that that brings, but also your need to understand how to how to sell you and your business, you know, sell you as a, if we look back as a football player that's able to play at the highest level or now as, you know, a builder that also has the scientific background or the the educational background to perform what it is that you want to perform. It's a cool, a cool balance to see. (laughs) Yeah, it's been fascinating. It's been an interesting journey. That's for sure. It's been a really, really interesting journey. Do you do anything systematically on the finance side that makes it easier for yourself or is it more for you kind of um, like you're just hands-on completely and, and looking at each item or is it something where you create processes and I, I step away? absolutely created processes. Yeah. So I've created some very good processes, everything from um, expense tracking yes. to um, remote you know, bookkeeping, remote bookkeeping. You know, so again, there's a conversation there about overhead, right? And sure. so, and then to just um, um, overall cash flow management within within uh, each project. You know, so my goal is, you know, with all of whether it's organizational systems or financial systems, to create as many automated automatic processes as possible. You know, and so if you understand the process and what's happening at the micro micro standpoint, can create a process to allow you to see things from a macro standpoint. Then you're just able to make calculated, you know, risk analysis, you know, risk, risk-based decisions on certain things, which is really probably more so where I'm gifted in is in mm. being able to just kind of evaluate information and then make strategic decisions. Perfect. Whereas like I am not the accounting type who's going to look at every single tiny dollar and only ever have, you know, the um, the financial variance conversation, you know, like yeah. just valuation. Well, it's you know, good from a CEO perspective. You, like you have to, right? yeah. You know, and so there's there's the there's the value, and I that's what one of the things I love just about scaling a company, mm-hmm. uh, starting out from the beginning is like you go from being the intern yeah. to hopefully scaling something well, and then becoming the most educated in what you do. Um, you know, and and so that's just it's so it's beautiful because you, you know, and I, it's kind of really more so my personality type too because I love to I love to know. A little bit about everything, mm-hmm. you know, and so I one I'm learning where really my gifts are. Um, but if if you understand accounting, if you understand, um, you know, cash flow, if you understand leadership, if you understand engineering, if you understand um, organizational management, and and you under you've experienced it, it allows you really to lead and to lead better. Yes. You know, yeah. and so I just realized that like that's really where my gift has been is in leading an organization, yeah. you know, and so whether it's construction or whether it would be, you know, selling paper, yeah, 
Dunder Mifflin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, I, for me, it's, it's. It, I think it would all probably be the same as long as I enjoyed the people I work with. And cool. So tell me about more how you built this organization to this point then. I mean, again, around 40 people directly employed W-2 employees. That's a, quite a feat in and of itself, not to mention the fact that you guys are actually creating something. You know, you're building mm-hmm. these homes and these, uh, to, I guess, to give some context, these historical districts in Tampa. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you're essentially rebuilding these homes within the parameters that are required mm-hmm. of being these historical homes. So, I mean, you said you started it while you were still... Uh, in the NFL, I mean, what was the idea there? What did you imagine first? Uh, you said you bought a few houses, but like, how does it scale up? How did you kind of envision it and make yeah. it happen? Well, so my my COO and I use the expression often. We woke up one day and the plane was flying, and so we're like, okay, let's keep this flying, mm-hmm. um, you know. And so there's some respect to that, that that was true, but you know, I um, it was so interesting. It's amazing how thing we talked about this. It's amazing how things how things move so fast and so slow and the interesting um you know paradox you know and 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 just crazy way that all of that comes together and unfolds before us but um so i started my company um really is just a a, a, an investment an llc for just like for investments real estate investments flipping properties um during that same time was when i was exposed to um really high-end home builders. So there are two men in my life, Jay Fechtel and Brent Whitehead, who are really top, probably the two of the top, you know, 20 um, custom home builders in, in Florida. Yes. Brent, Brent Whitehead's probably the top builder on the west coast of Florida. Cool. And so um, these guys, we went to the Bahamas together. It was like a men's like Bible-like study like trip. Nice. It was like five of us. We got to know these guys really intimately and, and – um, you know, learned about what they did, and and uh, you know, and I think that was when, and also that was playing. It was my after my first year in Tampa, and that's where like it just sparked for me. I was like, that is exactly what I want to do. Right. High attention to detail, high quality, right. unbelievable creativity, and beautiful architecture in their homes. And so, um, so I kind of developed that mindset. Like, I want to do that. Now, I, I thought it was going to happen like thirty years down the road. I didn't think it was going to happen so quickly. Um, but it, you know, so I, I was, did a couple investment projects, you know, the next year, year and a half while I was doing them, I was performing the work. Oh, wow. And so actually previous to this in my off season, um, when I bought my house up in Ohio, I remodeled it myself. Nice. So I wanted to learn how to drywall. So I did it. I wanted to learn plumbing. So I did it. You know, I, I, you know, we needed, I needed, I'm sorry, I needed to do drywall. So I learned how to do it. Same thing with, with tile, tile, installing cabinets, doing plumbing, electrical, you know, every, all of the above, right. because I needed to do it, um, you know, I I learned how to do it. You know, my mom, who's, again, she's got, she's an amazing woman, highly educated. When I first told her I wanted to, all these things I wanted to do to my house, she's like, stop. This doesn't have to be done overnight. So take your time, you who've only ever moved a thousand miles an hour, and just do it yourself. You're You're smart enough to figure it out. So instead of paying a premium for somebody right. to do this work for you. Like you got nothing else to do. Remodel the laundry room, do it yourself. So I did. Cool. And so, so early on in my career, I was developing this again, talking about knowing a little bit about a lot of different things. Yeah. I was actually doing the work. And so in then my off season, when I was down in Tampa, I would actually go back up to my house in Ohio. And there was a guy who I learned how to install tile from, and I would just go work for him for free yes. in Cleveland, Ohio, in the middle of winter. I remember he like, and again, I'm in the NFL making $500,000 a year. 
And what am I doing in my off season? I'm, I'm literally just a scrub hand for, I'm a laborer, an unskilled laborer for a guy who was teaching me the most amazing craft of installing tile. I'd call it immersing yourself in your passion. And that's exactly, and it was that, you know, he bought me lunch every day, which is great. And then we just had great conversation and I was having fun and we listened to music and I, and I was learning, you know, so that just humble approach to, okay, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. In order for me to get there, I have to humble myself and put myself in positions and within the hedge of protection of a variety of different type of people. Someone who installs tile very well, someone who leads an organization, somebody who manages finances, like all of these different things that I knew I needed to surround myself with, I did. And then eventually, you know, third year in the NFL, fourth year, um, I, you know, was doing, I had, you know, a friend who found out that I was like chasing a GC license who then asked me to do a project for him. Cool. And so I did. And then really it just became then people, word of mouth spread very quickly. Mm. And uh, people then were just hiring me. Consumers were chasing after me to design and then build their stuff. Cool. You know, and so it, uh, yeah, it's, it happened really organically. Um, you know, but it was just, it's been super interesting. But a lot of it, I think, again, is just rooted in like this humble approach to like, this is where I want to be. Now, in order for me to get there, I have to really humble myself in all of these different. But that's the part that people don't see. You know, they see Garrett Gilkey today Mm. with the HGNC, HGNC? HGC. HGC design and build. But they don't see the Garrett Gilkey that was working for free in the cold in Ohio just to develop these skills, to build the confidence, to build the knowledge, to build mm-hmm. the wherewithal, to be able to build this company then on the back end. Well, and, and what you had mentioned earlier off camera was just this, like at times I think people live in fear yes. to, to move forward. You know, mm-hmm. I, um, you know, which again, very much so a worldview conversation and an ancillary, there's a more side conversation there to identify that more richly. Um, but there, uh, something I was taught when I was at, um, when I was training for the NFL draft down in, uh, in, in IMG Academy in, in Bradenton, Florida, um, there's a sports psychologist that basically communicated the competitive nature and the follow through of competitive nature, whatever depth of competition someone has wired in them. Mm-hmm. Um, from They defined it through like basically the lens of three different personality types when it comes to anxiety and confidence. Mm. So there are people with really high confidence and low anxiety. Those are people that are really great at starting stuff. Could be be really, nice. Yeah, super, <laughs> super entrepreneurial, right? They're super confident, sure. low anxiety, not afraid to take a step forward, run a thousand miles an hour, can be really, really successful. Ultimately, um, it's easy for those people to plateau yeah. and it's easy for those people to fail um, and the reason for that is because when you have super high confidence and low anxiety, you're often not worried about what's coming behind you mm. or what the competition is um, or what the challenges are going to be. And so at times your your awareness to those things is minimal, which actually is uh, can be a huge, um, you know, a huge Benefit. disadvantage. Oh, di- but both, Dis- really. I mean- well, it could be a huge it can be a huge disadvantage because if you're not it can be perceived as a gift sure. because you experience success. But when we're talking about scalable success or scalable growth and sustainability, often that type is not always going to be the most scalable or sustainable mm, yeah. because of the the lack of anxiety and, and awareness behind you. Yeah. Then there's people with super high anxiety and low confidence. Those are people that can have all the creativity and the and the, the financial aptitude or the you know the the education, the resources, the general aptitude to right. do whatever they want to do. 
Because they could be the most gifted and skilled people you ever meet. But if they don't have the confidence to take one step forward or take another step forward because they're so worried about this fear of failure or rejection or whatever challenges might come about. There's no clear path. Maybe there's no clear path. Yeah. Maybe, whatever the circumstances are, if you're so limited and you're so you're living in such fear of what the unknown could be, then it doesn't matter what education or, or potential you have. You're never going to take a step forward. Therefore, you're never going to see or find that perceived success. Mm. And then there's a th kind of like the third, more balanced type, which is people of a, a balanced relationship between confidence and anxiety. And that I really identified well with because I actually see myself as probably a little bit higher anxiety than confidence. Yeah, now, which makes sense because I went to a private Christian high school where my coach told me I wasn't good enough to play, play Division One. Going back and up, I was bullied by everybody. And you know, I was bullied so bad my freshman year, I had to leave and go to a private school. Mm. I went to a Division II school where I was never glamorized. Right. I was never idolized. I was never the. I was never a captain. Right. Um, and so there was always this like I don't really know if Garrett is good enough to play college football, to, right. to play high school football, to play college football, to play in the NFL. I don't. Garrett. I, Garrett has only been limited by failures and by by oppressive circumstances. So. Now there's still this like this this like you know like this chip on my shoulder that says like I'm not giving up, so I don't know if I'm good enough. But really that 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 unknown that anxiety for me was was really a motivating factor because as I you know I remember hating to watch football on Saturday afternoons after we played because I'd watch guys on TV and go. I'm better than that guy. Yeah, yeah. That's Alabama. This is the guy from Georgia. Like what? This is the guy from you know from Florida State. This left tackle. I. I'm better than him, yeah. and I know I am. Um, and so so that confidence, right, so that there's been, like, so that you have some success in high school right. and some success in college, and you're enjoying it, right? So it gives you this greater ability to just build some more confidence. Right. And so now I'm taking this anxiety, which in one part is looking at, the guys on TV on Saturdays, the college guys, or looking at the guys getting drafted and says like, and say, like these guys, like these guys are, Killers, they're, they're best. yeah, absolutely, yeah. and which is which can be oppressive, right. but then this like this confidence says like because those guys are on TV, I'm going to work that much harder, right. and so so that's where the anxiety and the confidence plays in. I know that if if the moment I don't have any bandwidth to not work harder than anybody. Right. Because I am at Shadron State College. Where the last guy to get drafted was Don Beebe. Now previous to me, Danny Wood had played in sure, the NFL sure. and had a, a great career. But if I want to get drafted, like the last dude to do that was in like the early nineties. Yeah. It's like twenty five years later, some whatever it was, like I do not have the ability to not be the guy in the weight room who works out harder and longer than everyone else. I don't have the ability to go out and party like everyone else. I don't have the ability to, to just be lazy with anything. So that anxiety only pushed my confidence to just grow and to work that much harder. And so that's where that healthy balance of anxiety and confidence comes yeah. into play because I was always worried about, okay, when's it, when am I gonna fall on my face? When's it gonna come crashing down? Like if I don't work as hard as I can, someone else is gonna take my job. So familiar feelings, this is enlightening, enlightening indeed. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so- <laughs> That's crazy though. I mean, it, it, what do, so you had this person speak to you in college or in the NFL? Uh, before I got drafted. Cool, wow, so, that's a, that's a and, and it, what impactful it, conversation. Yeah, and what it did was is it, it brought articulation to my experiences. Right. Yes. yes. It brought words to what I was living out. Yeah. You know, and so that 
and so then, okay, so here's a whole other weird experience is now you're in the NFL where only ever people say, save your money, save your money, save your money. Mm. NFL stands for not for long. Right. And the statistics show, which you would, you'd probably know, most guys are broke. Yeah. You know, there's the, there the documentary. The, the docu- yeah, there's a documentary. <laughs> well, after what, three years or something? Yeah, three like and they're, years of... they're ba- most of them, like 90, whatever, whatever the percentage, yeah. whatever the statistic not is. Not just the NFL, even just most pro sports. Pro sports. NBA. So what that did to a kid with anxiety, okay, to someone who's susceptible to anxiety and fear is, oh shit, (laughs) I better, one, save my money because otherwise that'll be me. But two, as I've then grown my business, is like I, you know, have this, which I don't know if it was a healthy, you know, a healthy kind of image, but like this idea of like, okay, the plane's flying, when's it gonna crash? And there's always with like a young business, that fear of like, Okay, when is it going to fail? Yeah. At what point can I look at my organization and realize it's sustainable versus a startup? Right. You know, because there's in a startup, there's always that that unknown that yeah. is it going to be is it going to be a, a you know a, a sellable product? You know, is it going to be sustainable? Is it going to be desirable? Are we in the right market? Are we attacking the right market? Are we in the you know are we chasing after the right you know, market base? I mean, there's all sorts whatever, of unknowns, yeah. whatever, right? Every and question. so every <laughs> single question. And so, also again, so this high anxiety, you know, um, personality type that I, I just am, along with experiences and along with people telling, you know, my mom bringing up the, the documentary, you know, that documentary or people mm-hmm. in the NFL coming and speaking and speaking to statistics um, and the need to save, you know, the here I am now in a season of life growing a business where I know that I have to make financial decisions. I know that I had to make contractual decisions, I had to build my contract in a way that best protected me. I needed to sell the types of projects that I knew would best bring the right returns and that were the least amount of risk because construction is a high risk industry and the types of clients that had the lowest amount of risk that I knew would bring financial stability and, and sustainability to me. And a lot of the, so my business model was largely rooted in like this fear of failure. Yeah. If because if you know the the you, you can get into the industry and really really hurt yourself and really construction you can make a lot of money and do really really well, and you could also be it could also be very devastating. Yeah, it's leveraged, right? I mean, you were speaking to the idea that you guys don't take on much debt, but you have the ability to if you want to. The the debt's there for real estate. Yeah, you can leverage up and and be in a whole quick. But I I find what's interesting about what you're kind of describing is. In my opinion, again, these experiences that you had not only in the NFL, but college and high school in football in general, with this state that you describe yourself in with the balance between anxiety and confidence and then in business, too, it's it's the perfect amount of each to succeed because you still have to have the confidence to put yourself in the mm-hmm. arena, you know, the arena, whether it be in the NFL, the highest level of competitors and, you know, athletes there or in the arena of business, which some would argue is even scarier, you know, this mm-hmm. idea that you can fall on your face and it's purely financial and it's ugly to everybody because you, you told people that you were doing this and they saw that you were doing this. And so, you know, it's almost like that, that fear that you're saying that you might fall on your face. It's what drove you to be successful in sports, but also mm-hmm. in this arena, too, in the business arena, this in- confidence to move forward, but this anxiety that. Hey, there's always someone nipping at your heels and you could you could fall on your face. I probably until the NFL, you know, going back to that conversation, because that's prolific. But going so I probably until my experience in the NFL, 
were was probably I probably was living in much higher anxiety than confidence. Sure, of course. And so, because you haven't yet um, transcended your circumstances, right. you're still a young man. I'm still a young man. I still am living with the being, you know, bullied from my high school and then going to a small division two school. So all I'm seeing still is. Um, very kind of like oppressive experiences. And it's right in the rearview mirror. It's, I mean, it's right not there, right? Away. So yeah. like I'm living with high anxiety. Yeah. Um, again, seasons of life here. Yeah. Living with high anxiety. Um, well, now, holy cow, I experienced this thing. I you know, went to the senior bowl, top 100 players in the country, or top 50 or whatever it was, mm-hmm. top 100 players in the country. Um, got invited to the NFL Combine, um, you know, and then was drafted. And so, boom, overnight, okay. Like there's maybe there's some confidence there, right? So now there's a whole nother conversation about how you manage that and steward that well, sure. which we can have at another time. But, <laughs> um, but still there's, there's growth there. And so now I've seen as I've scaled my company with like with my mom at times often when I'm telling her about my projects or what we're doing. And when she came to visit me and she sees all of our signs everywhere, she's like, Garrett, this freaks me out. How can you do all of this? There's that, what that project is that size that you're doing this, all of the scale of the projects. And you're, that would overwhelm me so much. I wouldn't be able to do anything. Well, it's, it's easy for me to look at a home, you know, a $2 million remodel that we're going to rip the roof off of an old historic home, do 90 new cast-in-place pier foundations, and do a giant two-story addition on top of the structure and then off the back. It's easy for me at 29 to walk in and go, like, no, we can do that. Sure. And I know exactly how to do that. And it comes from, like, uh, you know, lining up against Julius Peppers right. and, you know, and and Phil Taylor and uh, – and, and some of the biggest, toughest guys I've ever seen in my life who, you know, probably kicked my ass more than anything. Um, but there's that 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 experience of walking into something um, in confidence and in a relentless pursuit to do as best as you can. Regardless of what the outcome Regardless of what the circumstances are. Yeah. So, again, going back to I am confident that I can build anything that someone wants to throw at me. I can design and build it. I know that I can um, and it's not because of an arrogance or because I've been in the industry for 50 years because I haven't. I'm young. Um, but because I have the education and I have the licenses and I have the – I have more importantly, I have the education. But I also have the work ethic, the determination, and the relentless pursuit to be the best that I can in that – in delivering that project and delivering that project well. Yep. I'm not going to be complacent. I'm going to chase after attention to detail you know, and efficiencies. Um, and I'm going to do the best that I can. Yeah. And so that, going back to, that is the same perspective that I took towards athletics. Right. Right. It's just now being cultivated in the environment of business. I would even say, just to use different words, but to completely agree, is you're reaping the rewards consistently of these investments that you're making. You know, these investments in yourself specifically. I mean, that's yeah. the one that I feel like keeps coming about you know, having the confidence or the anxiety, whatever it is, to drive you to be working out more, to be lifting more, the confidence or ability to know that you can compete with these guys if you put the time in on the front end. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea that you can build this big uh, design and build business if you put the time in Ohio, putting down tile in the winter. I mean, it, it's really this constant feedback loop of, okay, I, I invest my time, passion, blood, sweat, and tears I reap the reward. And it's not a stagnant position you end up in where I'm this end product. Look at me. I've accomplished all this stuff. It's a constant reinvestment in yourself like you're going to get your MBA right now. Maybe 
you're not going to go get an job, not going to get a job at an investment bank or private equity firm, but you know you have this general feeling, this general uh, or idea that I know that the investments I make in myself will mm. pay me back, and maybe not financially, 100%. but emotionally, physically, yeah. mentally, whatever it is, you're, yeah. you're reaping the reward. It's a positive feedback loop that's allowing you to, you know, continue to manifest this destiny that you're building. Very true. Yeah, very true. You know, and it. Um, yeah, you know, I just it, I think it just goes back to just not not giving up. Yeah, you know, and just chasing after. I'm a big believer in chasing after your uh, your dreams. You know what? And, and what's so interesting about that is, I remember my second year of college. You know, I until my second year of college, I never knew how to set a goal, hmm. ever. And I remember I sat down in my my pastor's office, and um, and he I wrote out goals four or five goals that I had. And, and then we reverse engineered them and we identified the process, you know? And so now that is what I do. I love it. And, and, but that took, that took growth. That took a a young man, a young boy uh, humbling himself and wanting to grow. Um, You know, it's amazing to see where I've been brought through the last 15 years, because if, if, there's no, there's no way outside the people in my life, and specifically this this guy who helped kind of mentor me, I'd be where I'm at because I would have never yeah. known how to even put the pieces together. Well, that's what I was going to point out right there too. I mean, that's another uh, uh, an accomplished man that's you know fault has fault of his own, but that's making an investment in a young man that mm-hmm. that you know he might not reap the reward, but someone's oh, going to reap rewards. Rewards will be reaped from this investment. Well, and, and, and he, you know, and he is the least athletic guy you would ever <laughs> see. And the least, I mean, like he knew nothing about football, but he knew how to grow men, you know, and important. and to lead and to lead well. And um, it was just, it was such a foreign process to me, you know. And so I, I do like I, going back to what you were saying earlier. Like I see that is a big challenge for people is to be able to set a goal, figure out what the steps are in order to get to that and take the step forward. I think it's knowing what you want specifically. I mean, the, the reverse engineering is not too difficult with Google. Now you can pretty much figure out how to do most things, but you know, can you feel confident Mm -hmm. enough about knowledge of yourself to set this goal that you will be committed to and Mm -hmm. you will achieve and hold yourself accountable over time to do it? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's humbling. It's so fascinating and so humbling because in, in, in one side, I've experienced a lot of failure in my life. I've experienced a lot of failure um, and I've experienced suffering. Um, but I've also experienced unbelievable growth and success as well. You know, and, and I look and at times I feel as if, you know, I think in, you know, in like a low, low self-esteem I think I'm not equipped to speak truth or encouragement to people because I've had such unbelievable success. You know, but the reality is is I just I really do believe if we if we set um realistic and healthy goals for ourselves, there's not a reason we can't chase after those. Oh yeah. You know, and and that I think is what I'm super passionate about is coming alongside people and and helping them realize that potential. You know, it goes back to, again, this idea of servant leadership, the, the idea of like being a good coach, seeing more in people in general than they can see in themselves and, and then helping them create the avenues and the guardrails to get them to those places. So, it, and so it's so interesting. I went from never having the aptitude to even have that conversation to now like that is my greatest joy yeah. is to, and again, 
it can be in the conversation of just growing a successful and scalable company. Sure. But it's really the most passionate thing that I do yeah. is seeing people in their circumstances, in their environment, and helping them get to a better place in their life. That's beautiful, man. I think that's a great way to end this. Thank you for your time, man. <laughs> well, how can uh, how can people follow what you're doing, your projects, or whatever? Uh, so yeah, so our our Instagram that's probably our, our you know our greatest means of you know probably uh, marketing and so forth is you know our our website's hgcdesignbuild.com. Our Instagram's hgcdesignbuild. But um, otherwise, we're, I'm just really just trying to just trying to do my thing and not looking for all the notoriety, not looking for all the accolades and. I've already had him with football. Like you get him in the NFL, and it's like okay, like the All business, the yeah, the a business article, like you know, business journal, like yeah, not really. It's like you know, being on ESPN is a little bit cooler than it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like you know, it's we've already, I've already kind of experienced and tasted that, and now I just really just want to do what we do and do it well. Man, it's awesome. I, I appreciate you sharing your journey. I'm excited to see where you go. Thanks. Appreciate your time. Awesome, man. Thank you.